Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. And welcome all the people online. Um, let me open in prayer, and then we'll, we'll kind of review where we are and talk about new stuff. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for this group of people that found time in their schedule to come out and look at your Torah. I just thank you for your Torah. I thank you that it's, uh, it's life. Torah is life. These words you wrote for us uh, are worth studying. They help us understand you. They help us understand how you'd like us to behave. And they help us understand how much you love us. So bliss, be in our conversation tonight. Help us to listen to each other and to, uh, to just open our, our heart to a better understanding of you. In Yeshua's name, amen. So let's see. I always like to talk about where we are. We're, we're going to do numbers. We're starting in chapter 6 tonight. So last week, we ended up with this uh, test for an unfaithful wife. I always like that test for the unfaithful wife because it's such a, it's, such, it's a strange thing. You know, it gets, it gets into this deal with, you know, the, the, the wife, the woman, is really kind of treated rather shabbily by today's standards, you know. All the husband has to do is just assume, just, just, just get struck with a spirit of jealousy, and he can bring this uh, accusation against her, you know. But we talked all about that, and I thought the, the interesting the interesting thing to me, I, you know, a lot of these things, the light bulb kind of goes on. The interesting thing to me was whenever someone pointed out to me uh, the comparison of that test for the unfaithful wife and the situation of uh, Moses when he came down the mountain and the children of Israel were worshiping the golden calf. You remember that? And, and how those, uh, some of the events looked similar. Yeah, it was, uh, it was I, I found that fascinating. God's pretty, pretty entertaining. Yes. So the Messiah, that's just loud. Yes. So the Messiah says he hates divorce, and that's really what this is. Or mm -hmm. it's... It's leading to it. I mean, it's... Right. Yeah. Because if she's guilty, she's not killed, but she's, you know... She's, uh, yeah, she's... Punished. Yeah. That, the thing is, is in terms of looking at it like divorce, you can... If you look at it from God's perspective, with respect, especially to the northern kingdom... He tolerated her infidelity for a long time before he finally got to the point where he said, okay, I've got to divorce you because you just have, you, you just won't come back. You know, you're, there's no hope here. But um, obviously, I mean, I, that's a good model, right? Anyway, we won't go back and rehash all of that. Let's start in, uh, unless you have some issue or some point you want to talk about. Tanya wants to say something. That's fine. You can have questions. As a matter of fact, I like your questions. One of the things I was, uh, was going to say is, you know, um, most or a lot of you in here are pretty um, familiar with a lot of this stuff. But the idea, really the way I wrote the books and everything, the idea is for people that don't know much of anything about the Torah. And so I really would like you to never feel like, oh, gee, I'm afraid to ask that question because there's no reason for you not to ask any question that you've got. I mean, I may not know the answer, 
but we can talk about it. And that's, I think God intended us to talk about this stuff. Go ahead. <laughs> you may regret that. <laughs> so, I, let me, I may not pose this exactly right, but okay. um, Ezekiel, mm -hmm. when we're talking about him divorcing mm -hmm. Israel, is Ezekiel, is he doing that to show that divorcing? What, what, Ezekiel what? What's, what? Like Ezekiel, the first few chapters where he's like eating bread and laying on his side. And, and all that stuff. Is that a different, or am I mixing no, this no, up? No, 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 I don't think you're mixing it up. I think it does have to do with the northern kingdom. Um, there is a place, it's not, it's not there, but there is a place where God literally says through one of his prophets that I divorce the northern kingdom. Okay. It, uh, I don't know exactly where, but we can find it. Is Jeremiah what? Three. Three. Okay. But he, he uses the word divorced. But it's, it's interesting to point out that he says he divorced the northern kingdom, but he never says that about the southern one. He never says that about Judah. So that's fine. He, he, he no said of Judah, you, you, were, you act even worse, though. Yeah, he, say, yeah he's, <laughs> he says, uh, you know, he divorced the northern kingdom of Israel. But to Judah, he says, but don't get to thinking you're better because you're at least as bad, if not worse, right? It just suited his purposes not to do that. Mark. <laughs> Why is it important that uh, Judah not be divorced? Well, I could give you my opinion. My opinion of why it's important that Judah not be divorced is because then even though she was unfaithful, she remains in the house. And Judah is, what we have to thank Judah for is keeping the Torah alive, keeping, keeping God alive in humanity, if you will. That's what, that's what their function was. They're, the best analogy, if you ask me, is the prodigal son. Judah's the older brother that stayed home. And whenever the younger brother came back, which is what's happening now, he was mad. He says, you know, you know he, he goes to God and he says, he took half your money, went out and squandered the whole thing, and here you are welcoming him back. I stayed here and... And, you know, I didn't get to go out and squander all your money. And he says, but you were with me all the time. You've always had everything I've got. You know, he's, he's trying to make Judah, if you will, the older son, understand that being with him was not a punishment. It, the punishment was what Israel did. <laughs> John. My answer to that is salvation comes from the Jews. That's why. There you go. If there wouldn't have been a covenant, there's no way for Israel to come back. Okay. I like that even better. He also couldn't divorce Judah because Yeshua came through Judah. I mean, you know, Yeshua wouldn't, you know, I mean, he, he, salvation does come from the Jews. Yep. I mean, and, and the other thing, it, it's an interesting thing because a friend of mine today, the Shlomo Phillips, he's, you know, definitely an Orthodox rabbinical Jew, but he, he said that he, he brought up an interesting point about the rabbis because people like to badmouth the rabbis, you know, a lot of people. But the thing is, if there hadn't been rabbinical Judaism, in a sense, the Torah would have been... Here, here. Uh, here. It wouldn't be here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If the same thing happened to Judah that happened to the northern kingdom, they would have been lost. I mean, God's performing a miracle enough as it is by, by recalling the lost house of Israel. But, uh, and he, not to say he couldn't have done it with both of them. But by leaving Judah, Judah remained the witness for 2,700 years. Yeah. 
Okay, good. Let's go on to Numbers chapter 6. So this is about the Nazarite vows. So would someone like to volunteer to read Numbers chapter 6 from verse 1 through verse 21? Ah, we have a taker. Again, the Lord spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to dedicate himself to the Lord, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or, or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine from the seeds, even to the skin. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the locks of hair grow on his head grow long. All the days of his separation to the Lord, he shall not go near to a dead person. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister. When they die because his separation to God is on his head, all the days of his separation he is holy to the Lord. But if a man dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his dedicated head of hair, then he shall shave his head on the day when he becomes clean. He shall shave it on the seventh day, then on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the doorway of the tent of meeting. The priest shall offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and make atonement for him concerning his sin because of the dead person. And that same day he shall consecrate his head and shall dedicate to the Lord his days as a Nazarite and shall bring a male lamb a year old for a guilt offering. But the former days will be void because his separation was defiled. Now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall bring the offering to the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb, a year old without defect, for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb, a year old without defect, for a sin offering, and one ram without defect, for a peace offering, and a basket of unleavened cakes for fine flour mixed with oil and unleavened wafers, spread with oil, along with their grain offering and their drink offering. Then the priest shall present them before the Lord, and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. He shall also offer the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord. Together the basket of unleavened cakes, the priest shall likewise offer its grain offering and its drink offering. The Nazarite should be, shall then shave his dedicated head of hair at the doorway of the tent, of meeting and take the dedicated hair of his head and put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of peace of offerings. The priest shall take the ram's shoulder when it has been boiled and one unleavened cake out of the basket and one unleavened wafer and shall put them on the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his dedicated hair. Then the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. It is holy for the priest together with the breast offered by waving and the thigh offered by lifting up, and afterward the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite, who vows his offering to the Lord according to his separation, in addition to what else he can afford according to his vow, which he takes, so he shall do according to the law of his separation. Okay, great. So this is the, the law of the Nazarite. Does anybody have any idea what Nazarite means? 
You probably knew that, but let's see. Yeah. Well, Lisa says she knows. She's looking at the footnotes. That's cheating. Well, no, because I, I know what, you know. Well, okay, I forgot. But, I, but, but um, the Nazarite, the Nazar is a, is, a, um, is a voluntary, obviously a voluntary thing. But, um, but it's, a, it's a particular type of vow. I mean, it's a particular yeah. type of vow. Well, it, you're right. It's We're going to talk about it being voluntary. It means set apart. It means dedicated, yeah, set apart, set apart. apart. It's, it's kind of like holy in a way. Holy means set apart. But it's dedicated one is literally what it means. Right. It's one that's uh, taking a vow. Let's talk about this, Nazarite. Could, could both uh, men and women take this? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I, go ahead, John. Of all the sacrifices, of all the offerings, of all the things we've gone over, <laughs> of all the what's not in this chapter? It's not in this chapter. I mean, there's all, every type of peace offering. No, no, there's one. There's an offering that's not in here. Okay, but I'm just saying, it, it, just about every one of just them about is, everything else is, and yeah. some because yep. he can't he can't partake of the the vine. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, so this explains what it is mm -hmm. and how it's done. Mm -hmm. But when would someone take this vow? Okay, that's a. I, I was going there. I was going to say, why would someone want to do this? Is that kind of your question? Why would someone want to do that? Well, first of all, let me hit another little, uh, a little point about the, um, it's what you're doing as part of the vow is you're, in order to express your uh, commitment and devotion to God, you're uh, agreeing, vowing to abstain from anything that's got anything to do with grapes. So that's wine, grape juice, raisins, Anything, okay? Yep, I won't have anything to do with, uh, with raisins for the length of my vow. Now, my research says that it was typically a month, a few months. But it could have been, you can, you can make it as long as you want. As a matter of fact, we're going to identify some people that made, they were lifetime Nazarites, okay? Uh, today, we might call a lifetime Nazarite a teetotaler, right? But anyway... Um, so the question then, now that we've got a little bit more about what it is, uh, why would someone want to do this? I mean, it's just consecration. He's consecrating himself so he uh -huh. can hear for the Father. Yeah, consecration is, again, setting apart. But why, what would, uh, it, it, it makes it very clear it's completely voluntary, right? Mm -hmm. So why would you want to volunteer to do this? Okay, to draw closer to God, that's a perfectly They're good answer. Crucifying their flesh. And what it says here is it's striking, striking with a knife, um, slaughtering or hammering or pounding out a metal. Um, so it's, in the, it's the shin. So when you, when you see Nazarite in Hebrew, it's uh, Nazir. So it's the shin, the, the chet, the hek, and then that basket thing. can't remember the basket well, um, okay. The what? It says nausea here in the Strong's. Noon, Zion, Resh. It says Shin, Hek, T-H. That's the other right here. 
What's the TH? Well, that, that's still not the answer to the question. So anyway, <laughs> it's, it's just crucifying the flesh is what, I, what I'm okay, getting. Okay, why would you want to do that? Okay, what were you going to say, Tanya? I'm thinking um, it would be similar. I think of like fasting. When you're mm -hmm. seeking mm -hmm. a specific answer to a specific, and maybe not specific, but you're seeking an answer or mm -hmm. seeking a certain direction, mm -hmm. to me this sounds mm -hmm. similar or stronger than like f fasting. Yep, it's, it's, it's similar or stronger. That's one thing. Mark's got something there. I think of it, this is just my own opinion, I think of it as a little more done out of a sense of gratitude. Fasting might be done, but that's neither here nor there. Go ahead, Mark. Usually the person that's doing the vow has something, uh, a set-apart purpose that he's doing in his life. So there's, there's something, something purposeful for the kingdom that he's doing, which is why Hannah did it for Samuel, which is why... Uh, if you go back and look at Paul here, we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Paul in Acts 21. We're going to go there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can see that obviously he's been set apart for a purpose to do for the kingdom to go out and preach the mm -hmm. gospel to the northern kingdom. And so he's picking a period of time here to set himself apart because he's up in a pretty rough area, quite a ways away from his brothers. Yeah, that's a good point. The, the main point I was going to make is that it's voluntary. You're doing it because your heart leads you to do it. And it's done, um, it's done, like Mark says, maybe because of you're getting ready to, uh, to go do something specific for God, but it's, uh, it's something that, that you don't have to take a vow like this. That's the point. You do it because you feel like God's leading you to do it. Well, and Nazir also means crown or diet, crown or diadem. So it's a funny thing because... I think that might come from hair. You know, because you, no. well, one of the things so, they do is you cut oh, off all yeah, your hair. Maybe that's what it is because yeah. you have I don't a crown. Know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But, um, but I was just thinking that I know a lot of people that say that they're taking Nazarite vows, you know. But actually, it's really impossible at this stage to take a, Nazar a full, really. I mean, for, you can do it. You can set yourself apart. It doesn't matter. But, but you really can't take a Nazarite vow now because... There is no temple. That's what I was going to say. You can't present your hair and put it on the fire below the animals. Right. Right, yeah. So there's definitely that issue. Um, go ahead. Uh. Or if you make it, you better be willing to wait quite probably some time for that to be <laughs> fulfilled again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark's got something. So I'm going to read Amos 2.11. It says, then I raised up some of your sons to be prophets. So why is a prophet raised up? He has a special purpose for the Lord. Mm -hmm. He's on a mission. He's got, he's got a purpose. And some of your young men to be Nazarites. So he raised up two groups of people, prophet and Nazarite, because these two groups had specific purposes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the Nazarite and prophet were both the same. The same. Same guy, yeah. yeah. John. So I did a study on Netzer which is Nun Tzadi Koresh. Okay. And it's very, it's very, that word kind of borrows heavily from, the, from Nazar. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it means, uh, well, that word is like, if you, it's my understanding that if you ask a Jew, what is the Hebrew word for a Christian, they would say Netzer. They would say that word. So 
Um, I, I personally think that's a better definition of who we are than messianic, my opinion. But mm -hmm. it's interesting to it's an interesting study. What of that does word. what's the difference in meaning between the two words? Well, the you know, the well, the, no, no, the I didn't. The meaning. The what meaning. I like about it is, it's a noon tzaddik rish. So if you do a word study, the noon is the back of the head. The tzaddik is like a hook, and the resh. I'm <laughs> sorry. The noon is the fish. Yeah. The, the quickening of life, <clears throat> the tzaddik is the hook, and the resh is the back of the head. So, fishers of men. Okay. I think that, that okay. fits. But uh, is there... Uh, That's what if, he calls his disciples to be, is fisher, follow me and become fishers of men. If you, were, if you were adept at a Hebrew dictionary, which I definitely am not, and you look up Nazir versus Netzer... Yeah, it's, it's going to be close to it because... But they, do they have different definitions? Well, the Zion is the sword. Well, I, I'm not I'm asking sorry, about all of that. I'm, I'm just asking whether the well, words. Well, I, I didn't. We, the, yeah. the, the, I didn't hear that before. That it was the the uh, the hair. Okay. Well, and anyway. if you think if I can go off on that a little bit. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. The, where does it say you throw your your crown down to the Messiah? Uh, somewhere, I think Revelation or something. Doesn't it? Yeah, isn't that so? Is that could that be symbolized yeah, by yeah, your hair? Could be. Could be. Yeah. Netzer means to guard or to keep watch, and the other one means okay. uh, that you're set apart okay. or whatever. So they're close. I see. They're, they're mm -hmm. similar, but yeah, not. Yeah, similar. All right. So anyway, the way this thing works is you decide for whatever reasons that you want to make this vow. And one of the things this teaches, and we've talked about this before, is when you make vows, especially vows to God, you need to take them very seriously. So you don't start this with kind of a half-hearted attitude of, well, if it gets tired, I'll, you know, if it gets hard, I'll quit. Um, what are one of the reasons that you, your vow might be uh, nullified? Dead body? De dead body. Okay. Now, um, that seems like, you know, uh, it's not your fault. I mean, even the example, it, it goes here. You're, you're minding your own business, my dad would say. Going along, minding my own business, and this guy dies beside me. Right? He drops dead right, 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 right there beside me, you know. It's I not my fault. <laughs> didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, but there goes his vow. You've got to start over. You've got to start over. And, it, and it's, even though it has nothing to do with anything that you did wrong, uh, do you know the logic behind why you'd have to start over? It's a serious thing. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So you're a person of your word. If you vowed to give that amount of time. Yeah. Well, yeah. The bottom line is you've become unclean. And, and so when you become unclean, you have to go through the process of getting clean again. And I guess, hopefully, you're not supposed to have that issue during the time that you have the vow. Anyway, that's, that's the way I read it. Now, so you make this, you make this vow. I'm going to uh, not have anything to do with grapes for X number of months or whatever. And during that time, you let your hair grow, right? And your beard, if you're a guy. And then whenever the time is over, you go present yourself to the priest at the tent of meeting along with several different sacrifices. Do you remember what they are? They're listed, of course. They're like everything. It's like Well, the... no, there's one that's missing. Okay, everything okay. but the one you're going to just about ready to tell me. Yeah, okay. The, uh, we can go through and read them all. But you, um, the, two, the two most common ones that you have to have 
are the sin offering and the burnt offering. Okay, the sin offering is obviously your, it's the, it's the offering that you're required to bring, required to bring to cover any sin that you might have committed as far as your uh, offense to God is concerned. The one that's not listed is the guilt offering. Guilt offering has to do with restitution. There's not that one. But there's the sin offering, and then there's the uh, burnt offering. Burnt offering is the one that is totally consumed. You don't, you don't get to share the sin offering, and you don't get to share the burnt offering. Those are, those are gods, gods and the Levites. Okay? Then there's also the, the, with the associated bread and drink offering, that's, that goes without saying. But then the, the, the other one, the other meat offering is the fellowship offering. Now, do you remember how fellowship offering is different? Everybody participates. Yeah. yeah, you could. A fellowship offering is much more. Well, it's totally voluntary. Although in this case, you have to do it. Um, but it can be pretty much what you want it to be, and you're allowed to invite people to enjoy it with you, and the priest enjoys it with you. It's more of a. I hate to use the word festive occasion, but that may not be wrong. It's. Uh, it's not. You know. It's. It's. It's the. The result of getting yourself right before God. It's, it's the communion meal, so to speak, okay? Anyway, so that's what you do whenever, you, whenever you've completed your vow. You bring all the prescribed stuff, the offerings, and you come and you present them at the tent of meeting. And he it did list in detail what he does, but among other things, he cuts all his hair off, right, and puts the hair on the altar that's at that particular point in time doing the burnt offering. Uh, that's kind of interesting. I don't know what to think about that. One of the things I have to tell you that, you know, burning hair smells horrible. So I don't know what to think about that. But anyway, that's what it is. Maybe if you hadn't washed it for... Wouldn't be so bad. Two months, you have so much oil, you... Yeah, that could be. That could very well be. So let's see. Um, Do you know any uh, Nazarites... From the Bible, Sam. You said Samuel. Yep, Sam, Samson. Samson was a Nazarite. Delilah, Delilah kept asking him about it. Yeah. How did you? How did he get rid of his strength? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did Delilah did him in by cutting his hair? Right. Yes, Tanya. Just a second. Wait. Wait. Wait for it. Wasn't Jesus referred to as a Nazarite? Oh, there's a couple of issues there. One is, and this is, you can take this one with a grain of oh, salt. Shoo, uh, but sorry. Yeah, it's okay. It's, <laughs> it's certainly within the realm of possibility that whenever they call him Jesus of Nazareth, that could have been a mistranslation, Jesus the Nazarite. Now, it's not, you know, you could make a case for that. You could make a case against that. But uh, you could see, you know, even in English, the two words sound pretty much the same. But go ahead. Well, it just makes me think that because in this vow, they didn't do alcohol or vinegar or grapes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when he was Mm -hmm. on the cross, yep, they offered him and and what he refused. Yep, yep. It just makes me think. Yep. I could be totally wrong. No, no, no. I think you could be totally right. Uh, the, the scenario I read about that was it had him, I don't know if this is right, but it had him starting his Nazarite vow when John the Baptist baptized him. 
and he abstained from anything to do with grapes until he died. I don't know. Well, he, he turned the water into wine. Yep. I mean, so, you know, I'm just saying. You're, you're just saying. So, well, you don't know whether he drank it or not. No, you don't. Now, like I say, I, that's why I didn't tell you I've got this new revelation, and I'm sure it's yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. <laughs> we don't really know for sure. Yep. Mark's got something. He had the third cup at the Passover, though, didn't he? So what names did we come up with so far? We came up with, uh, I know what you're, we came up with uh, Samson, we came up with Samuel, and we came up with uh, Yeshua, maybe. Paul. That's the one I was going to go. Well, there's a, there's, Paul was one, but there's another one. Yes. So let me talk a minute about you Yeshua. Talk about, okay. So Judaism has a saying that if a man declares he's going to abstain from anything from the grape, he has now declared a Nazarite vow. Okay. So when Yeshua said, I shall not drink of this again until I drink it with you into the kingdom, he was basically uttering a Nazarite vow. That makes sense. Okay. So when he was raised 30 day, 40 days later, was it the vow over? No, because as he, and this is just from Mark's mm -hmm. school of opinions. That's okay? fine. So what, ha what does a Nazarite do as soon as he takes the vow on? When the vow he, begins, what does he do? He lets his hair grow, if that's what you're getting at. But he's supposed to do something at the beginning. He's supposed to shave everything at the oh, beginning. Yeah. And so now, because if I enter a vow now, how do they know how long I've been in it? Yeah. Because my hair is already really long. Yeah, good point. Uh, if he entered a vow because his beard's longer than everybody's, how would we know how long he's been in it? Yeah. But if, if a Nazarite's starting from a complete shaven head, and now everybody's looking at him, they know pretty much how long he's been under the vow. Yep. So I found it interesting that when Yeshua is with them on the road to Emmaus, they don't recognize him. If a man had long hair and a long beard, and they had never seen him any other way, and it was all shaved off, might be unrecognizable. That's a very interesting point. That's a very interesting point. <laughs> he presented himself at the... Yeah. At, 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 at the, the real altar, if you will, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good. So there, separated all this... So he's separated all this time he's away. Yeah. Yeah. His hair will be really long. Um, there's another one that we've missed. No, you mentioned Paul. We're going to go look at Paul a little bit. So if you're in the belly of the whale, and you, will you lose all your hair because of stomach whale, acid. whale stomach fluids? Uh -huh. <laughs> Did he take a vow? Okay, you still haven't figured the one I'm trying to get at, though. His mother, his mother just said she was dedicating him. She didn't say that he would never drink wine. Well, you may be right. So, uh, uh, Samuel. Okay, I, 
It was stated he wasn't going to I just didn't want to argue with you because it's so painful. I'm just joking. I'm sorry, Lacey, you're so fun. Okay, nobody got the one. John the Baptist. Huh? No, you didn't say John the Baptist. No, you didn't. Because I was going to take you there. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. John the Southern Baptist. John the Southern Baptist, that's right. Luke chapter 1, verse 13. This is when uh, uh, Zechariah is learning about what's going to happen to him. See if I got that right. 13. So let's see, we'll start in verse 11. Uh, this is Zechariah we're talking about. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to give him the name John, Yochanan. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of Yahweh. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Is that where the Baptists get the rule that you can't drink wine? I guess so, yeah. Because he's the John the Baptist. Yeah, I guess so. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to Yahweh their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the kingdom of the righteousness. I just thought that was good because it says pretty clearly there. That's okay. good. But we were also going to talk about Paul because Paul was mentioned a couple times and that's over in Acts. Let me find it for sure. 21. 18, there's a mention of it in 18, but 21 the, is the rest of the story. So let's go to Acts 21. Verse 20, I heard. I did too. So I'm going to start in verse 17 because I always like to do that. Verse 17, this is Paul coming back to Jerusalem. It says, when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. That's a Nazarite vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. And then everybody will know that there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believer, believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meat strangled from animals, and from sexual immorality. So the next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. So, to me, I mean, it's clear, number one, that Paul took the Nazarite vow. But, boy, the thing that I really like about that passage is 
anyone that thinks that Paul advocated that, you know, the law has been done away with, that clearly nails that. I mean, he didn't do that, right? John. So that, uh, that's an interesting um, set of verses because it seems, it isn't just, I want to draw near. He's kind of proving something too, isn't he? Mm -hmm. and, I mean, I don't, the question is, is that an unreasonable thing for him to do? Paul, you mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, mostly you might think, well, he did a Nazarite vow because he just wants to draw near and he doesn't really want it. He doesn't really want anything out of it. Well, Paul kind of does, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Mm -hmm. He's saying, you know, you're challenging me that I've done away with the Torah or something yeah. to that effect, and that's yep. not true. In yeah. fact, I'll prove it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that's exactly what he's doing. He's using it, <laughs> if you will, for political purposes. That was uh, Acts. Chapter, chapter 21. Chapter 21. So let's go to, let's look again here at Acts chapter 21, starting with verse 23. So he says, we have four men who are under the vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them. So all we've got to do is go back to our Torah portion to find out what this purifying means. Because mm -hmm. we're going to do exactly what the Torah states in Numbers chapter 6. And then it says, and pay their expenses. So what's pay their expenses? When we look back here at Numbers chapter 6, verse 14, he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb a year old without defect and for a burnt offering, one ewe lamb a year old without defect for a sin offering, and one ram without defect for a peace offering. That's three animals per man. So Paul's about to buy 15 animals for all five of them, each one of them have to have a gallon of oil and a gallon of wine. So five gallons of those each and 15 animals. He's going to pay for all of that to show he hasn't taught against Torah. Now, we see in Acts chapter 21 that it says, now they're going to shave their head. All of them are going to shave their head, which, by the way, meant eyebrows, mustache, beard, and head, all of it. Okay? You wonder why guys get bushy eyebrows. <laughs> so it says uh, uh, in verse 26, Paul took the men and the next day purifying himself along with them went into the temple giving notice to whom of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. So he's giving the notice to the high priest at that time. And then look at verse 27. When the seven days were almost over, hmm, where do we get the seven days from? Well, we go back to what the Torah portion states, how many days they have to be, and we're almost over because they uh, had done all the things that were done here. And by the way, the hair that's shaven gets placed on the wood and the animal. It gets burned with all of it. Mm -hmm. the, the hair goes up, believe it or not, because it's the hair that's holy, it goes up as a sweet smell to the Lord. Yep. So it is neat how it just exactly fits with what it says in Leviticus, you know. And so it shows that they were doing this uh, some 2,000 years after Leviticus was written. So what's the argument for why he did it if, if the Torah's been done away with? No, no kidding. Why would he do it? No, what, the, what is the argument? What are the, it, he was just like doing it to, set, to, to please them or something? Or well, there, uh, like I say, if the Torah had been done away with, I think if he thought that, he would have used this as an excuse to point up 
why not to do it? So did it say in Acts 21 that he and all four of the guys shaved their heads? Yep. Let's look here in Numbers chapter 6, verse 18. The Nazarite shall then shave his dedicated hair at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So that means this is why they're at the temple. He's got to do the shaving. He can't shave it at the house. He's got to be standing at the temple and shave it right there in front of the priest. Yep. Yeah, it was. Acts, Acts was written. Yeah, they did. Acts was. It was right after Luke. I mean, Acts is basically. Acts is essentially Luke 2. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put that. So, that's the the Nazarite thing. So that's the you know. Are there any any more issues or questions or anything you want to talk about about that? In fact, most of Paul's epistles, I think, would have been before seventy A.D. If I understand it. Oh, that, absolutely. Does anybody know why no grapes? No, not even grapes. I can understand wine because of the alcohol, but. Mm-hmm. The grapes. It seemed like no. Let's see. I read something about that. In that, grapes were symbolic of uh, uh, you know, kind of the good life. And so, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm, I'm willing to set aside the the easy life, the good life. That's a little lame, but that's the only thing I was able to read about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a comment on the hair. Um, usually, when you take medication or you take certain substances like marijuana if they do a hair analysis you can tell that uh that what's what you've been doing what what the what the toxins were yeah 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 that have been in there so your hair is like a measure of what you've been doing hmm <laughs> did you want to comment on the blood so do you think that the grapes have anything to do with the blood of yeshua well, certainly there's a symbolism there of some side. I guess I'd have to it's, kind of see how it would fit, but it could. Sure. It, I, I've heard it. I don't know where it's at, but Monty Judas says the blood, the blood is representative of the, the wine is representative of the blood. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where that's at, but um, we're not supposed to eat the blood, right? And if yeah. it's representing the blood, then uh, the life is in the blood. Yeah. Who's next? I would say that the wine uh, and the grapes represent things that are done in covenant. So when a man's under a vow, he's certainly to stay away from any kind of entering into any covenants because he's set apart, much like a bride does when she's entering into uh, courting with a husband before they actually consummate. She's not to enter into any other agreements because she's now, she's dedicated to this one man. So I would think that the, 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 all the grapes and the wine symbolic of entering into, you know, covenant relationship. You know how the a bride would grab the wine and say, I do? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. That fits. That fits. But I, I've often wondered the same thing about the grapes. Yeah. Nazarites, it, it's an interesting thing. I think the thing I find most fascinating about it from just the plain text is the fact that uh, anyone can do it, and they can do it for reasons you know, if you will, between them and God. So it's a, it's a, I think it's kind of a gutsy thing to do. 
did Margaret, didn't you bring up the point that it's, it's a way to be like the koan, to be to draw near like the koan with the, with that vowel? The, so whenever Adab and Abihu were smoked, mm -hmm. and immediately right after that is talking about you shall not drink. Yep. It it probably could also be, and, and probably maybe more for this reason, if you're under a vow, you're set apart during these days. It's like the priest when he's doing the service in the temple. You're set apart here, and so you certainly don't want to be consuming something or partaking of things that could contribute for you to not be in all of your faculties. Yep. That makes good sense. Yeah, it's not so much that it's a, it's a great sacrifice to do without this. You know, it's, I, I think it's more a question of, uh, of, of the positive aspect of the fact that you're doing it as, to show the commitment. Yes. Well, I was going to bring up something. I, like, you know I like to always look back at mm -hmm. the time period. Mm -hmm. And it, if, if you look at like with wine and drink and the people that were doing this, these are almost like heads of the house, you know, heads or sons of the household or really in the hierarchy. Yep. And if you look at back in the day from what, like, you know, just even stuff that I've read here, it's like grapes and this nice jelly and stuff and, and the wine is not really for the common folk. No. Then yeah, they wouldn't have access yep. to it. So for someone that has that all the time and then for them to really give that up, they're going to have to go into temptation all the time because everyone in their family around them is enjoying these things and that's, that's point. more significant yep. to abstain from. Mm -hmm. You know, the piggyback off what Mark said, um, actually my, um, the rabbi uh, Nushul, he was talking about that. He gave a drosh on that about, about that it's a way that anybody can sort of participate mm -hmm. as a Kohen in, in a sense, you mm -hmm. know? No, I think one of the things in that regard that's kind of fascinating, fascinating might be a little strong, but kind of interesting, is that it's very clear. It says a man or a woman. Right. So uh, there's not a lot in the Bible that uh, gives women an opportunity, if you will, to, to do this. And I, I think that's, again, I think it's noteworthy. I do too. Okay, we can move on. Um, the next section is rather short, verse 22 to the end of the chapter. So I guess it goes to verse 27, I think. 22 to 27. Does somebody want to read Numbers chapter 6 from verse 22 to 27? Ah, Alonzo. Haven't heard Alfonso. from you. Alonzo. Yay. <laughs> Alfonso. I'm sorry. It's, uh, you know, the... Something, something happened here. It's got, it's got to do with getting older. <laughs> and Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is how you barak the children of Israel. Say to them, Yahuwah barak you and guard you. Yahuwah make his face shine upon you and show favor to you. Yahuwah lift up his face upon you and give you shalom. Thus they say, Put my name on the children of Israel, and I myself shall Barak them. Okay. Um, so specifically to whom were these instructions given? Kohen. Aaron and his sons, the Kohen. Yeah. Isn't it fascinating that that's right after the Nazarite vow? Isn't it? Now, what do you think about that? What was the, the fancy term I came up with last week? It was geographical pro approximation? Yeah, proximity or something. 
the law of biblical verse proximity? Yeah. Well, it means I, the suggestion is, you know, that that's context. The context of the Nazarite vow, or the context of the 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 priest with a Kohen, is right after the Nazarite vow. That's the context. Yes, that's the context. And, and there's a reasonable. It's reasonable to say there's a relationship there. Okay. What? Uh, well, spell we're it saying, out a little more clearly. Well, that if you're doing, if if you're not any Joe can do the, the the things that the Kohen can do. That's true. Very few of them are Kohen. Very few of Israel are Kohen. Yeah. As a matter of fact, as a as a kind of a question, who can be a Kohen? Kohen is a priest. Who can be a Kohen? The descendants of Aaron. The descendants of Aaron. Which the aren't all the Levites. They're a subset of the Levites. Not only are they a subset of the Levites, they're a subset of the Kohathites. Right? Right. So they're, it's a pretty small group. So the, to connect the dots, mm -hmm. to, to do like what they're doing, you can do the Nazarite vow. Yeah, I think that's good. That's a, I, I like that. I like your uh, geographical proximity law or whatever. <laughs> I had a question, and now I... Okay, talk oh. about age. Now I forgot it. <laughs> I, had a, I had a question. It was... Um, <laughs> Except you. <laughs> oh God! You know, I'll think of it and yeah, I'll you come will. back. That's all right. Chris has something. So when it says at the last verse in twenty-seven, so they should invoke my name on the sons of Israel. So who? Yes, the sons of Aaron can be Kohen, but who? Who's considered the sons plural of Israel that are able to have? Now that? you're talking verse twenty-seven. Yeah, yes. from 22, I mean, just, is that what we read? Yeah, but, but verse 27 is one you're specifically yeah, quoting to. Yeah, I'm addressing yeah. Okay, so like the, all the sons of Israel. The sons of Israel them, so are the Israelites. Okay. It's the whole kit and caboodle, if you will. And so, well, that's interesting what it says there. I was going to ask about that. What does it mean? Um, what, what does God say when Aaron the priest says this to the people? What does God do? Is this they, well, you know what we say at the synagogue, can ye ratzon, can ye he ratzon. That means, may it be so. Okay, so he, it says here, it says, I will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Right. So. But I, I remembered my question. Oh, good for you. My question was <laughs> that the... Um, God, I forgot. You know, what is the matter with me? I remember when it's about the Kohen. It's about the Kohen. Oh, okay. I know what it is. What bothers me now about them saying they're going to restore the temple, you know, and everything, is how do they really know who the Kohen are? Or is it going to be rabbis doing it? Well, now, there's a, there's a lot of things that go on there, and I don't, we don't want to go down this rabbit trail very far. But you know no. they found uh, genetic markers for... Uh, members of the tribe or of the... Well, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but just because you have a genetic marker doesn't, you know, because I know a lot of Kohens, you know. Well, Kohens. I tell you what, I'd believe a genetic marker before I believe some well, me family too, tree that goes back to the time right, of Moses. Right, but I mean, I, I know some <laughs> Kohens that I really wouldn't want to be doing the priest, yep. you know, thing. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like you like to say, I'm just saying, yeah. Well, if you went in during the day of Yom Kippur and you didn't come back, maybe you weren't a Kohen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. I got a simple answer to the that issue. Mm -hmm. 
bless the person that tries to do all of this that isn't from the house of Aaron. Because if we go back from last week's lesson, it's very clearly stated who is supposed to do what. Yep. And if we as the people try to go and do other things that we're not supposed to, yep. those uh, yep. happenings or... I've, it won't work. It won't you. work out. It's not going to work it's out. It's not going to work out. Yeah, I agree with you. And furthermore, it gives us. It gives us. Let's see. Um, it gives us the opportunity to understand that God's got this all figured out. Just because we don't, it's not. Don't worry about it. I mean, to me, that's a detail that uh, that He'll take care of. When the time is right, we'll know, and they'll know. And I'm pretty sure I'm not one. By the way. Well, I wouldn't want to predict one way or the other. Yep. Go ahead, John. So to think, to go and use my geographical verse proximity logic, <laughs> it's getting old. <laughs> Hold on. I don't think so. I like it. So what happened before verse 6 or chapter 6? We just got through talking about it, it was like the, a bill of divorce, mm -hmm. which happened to the house of Israel. Mm -hmm. So you can't. Therefore, I look at it as the, the Kohan option isn't an option anymore. Mm -hmm. The only option we have is to be like the Nazarites. Okay. That, that's a, I can understand how you can come to that conclusion. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The thing for today, for us, for me, for example, um, I could, if I felt, well, if I felt God was leading me, I could take a Nazarite vow. I mean, I couldn't do all the hair stuff, like you say, cause, but I could, I could make the commitment and I could, I could look at it and I could find uh, modern day equivalents to some degree. And I think the thing to get there is that, to me, the important thing is the fact that person that did this did it on their own. They did it out of their own volition. They did it because they wanted to. God's very careful to say there's no compulsion here. This is voluntary. Uh, whatever. Anyway. Anything else you want to go on? Margaret. I was reading an article, I think it's in the Aisha.com, where um, the, the computer guy, um, Zuckerberg, gave a blessing to uh, an address. He was addressing um, a bunch of graduates and he gave him a blessing and then it talked about how when you bless somebody that you should also make an offering, a charitable offering somewhere else so that it has, I guess, something behind it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sort of a witness or it's got um, it's got some strength. All right. And and I thought, oh, that's that's pretty nice. But I'm noticing here also on um, verse two, it says, um, when either a man or a woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite to separate. So I guess this goes for both men and women. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I think that's a very important thing. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, do you know any men or women that have taken this Nazarite vow and what was the outcome? I don't. I don't know. You do? do you? Is, is it any different than fasting and praying? 
Well, what about the the Lebovitches? What are they? Who has the long? The Lubovitches? That's something else. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that's really the vow that they're doing. Well, we've decided you don't. There's no temple to go. Yeah, yeah, take yeah. The, yeah. So if you, if you look back in, I'm going to go historical reference. The only alcohol that was available was wine back then. Mm-hmm. They didn't have, like, vodka and some other. They might have had one, like, you know, one or other, but wine was pretty much the staple of alcohol. Yeah. So I look at this as, like, if you're on a mission for Yah and this is something, you're gonna, the benefit of doing this is being able to be clear-minded and be able to be in a continual, consistent connection with him to be able to perform at the best of your ability in what you're called to do. Yep, yep. And that's kind of what Mark was alluding to. He was saying that, uh, you know, if, if you're feeling led by God, whether it's just this or whether it's, you know, perf- uh, making this vow because you feel that God has led you to do something, then this would support that because, like you say, you'd be clear-headed. It would, it would enable you to keep focused on your job, Right? This is, okay, God, this is what I think you want me to do. I want to be focused on this and do this. So I'll make this vow so that you know, if you will, that I am committed to it and I am going to stay focused on it. I can see that. I mean, like I say, it's it's helpful to sometimes put something in this that makes it work. Yeah, yeah, it makes it work for us, if you will. Yeah. Go ahead. You didn't have anything, huh? Well, I was just going to say, you, 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 you make stupid decisions when you're inebriated. Yep. I've, I've heard. <laughs> That's why. <I've, laughs> people have said, yes, I've heard people say that. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Well, let's go on to chapter 7. Chapter 7 is an interesting chapter. Um, let's see here. We'll read up to, we'll read the first 11 verses and then we'll talk about that for a little bit and then we'll go on to the rest. John? So, if you're interested, sure. On myhebrewbible.org or .com, if you go to article number 785, I put the whole thing in a table format, mm-hmm. chapter 7, at least 12 through 83, because there's a lot of, there's a repetition of all the 12 tribes. That's it. Okay. Does somebody want to read? read? You can, well, Al, okay. I'll just call you Al from now on. Me, Al? No, him. You're not Al. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It was on the day that Moses, that Moshe decided, or finished erecting the tabernacle, that he anointed it, sanctified it, and all its utensils, and the altar and all its utensils. And he had anointed and sanctified them, The leaders of Israel, the heads of the father's household, brought offerings. They were the leaders of the tribes. They were those who stand at the countings. They brought their offering before Yehovah, um, six covered wagons and 12 oxen, a wagon for each two leaders, leaders and an ox for each. And they brought them before the tabernacle. Yehovah said to Moses, saying, spoke to Moses, said to Moses, saying, take from them, and they shall be to perform the work of the tent of meeting, 
You shall give them to the Levites, each man according to his work. So Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them to the Levites, to the two of the wagons and four of the oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon in accordance with their work. And four of the wagons and eight of the oxen he gave to the sons of Merari in accordance with their work under the authority of Itamar, the son of Aaron the, Aaron the Kohen. Of, to the sons of the Kohat he did not give since the sacred service was upon them. Interesting. They carried on the shoulder. Then the leaders brought forward offerings for the dedication of the altar on the day it was anointed. And the leaders brought their offering before the altar. Jehovah saw, said to Moses, one leader each day, one leader each day shall they bring their offering for the dedication of the altar. Okay. That's the end of verse 11, huh? Okay. Yep. I wanted to talk about this for just a, a couple of minutes. Um, first of all, they're, to get back to where we are, they're still sitting around, camped out at the foot of Mount Sinai, right? They haven't left Mount Sinai since the end of Exodus. So they haven't moved anywhere yet, okay? And this is part of, you know, chapter 7 is about the dedication of the tabernacle. Well, have we read about the dedication? dedication of the tabernacle before? Yes. Can anybody tell me where? In a previous chapter. We've read about it twice. We've read about it in Exodus chapter 40, and we've read about it in Leviticus. I don't remember the chapter number, but it says here somewhere. Eight. Um, and all three of the passages talk about this same event. They all three talk about the dedication of the tabernacle. I have this rule that if God says the same thing more than once, you really ought to pay attention to it because there's something there. Uh, you know, like the Gospels. I'm always amazed that the Gospels were just the same story four different times. Well, this is the same thing three different times. And, you know, I didn't really notice that till like about my tenth time through the Torah. But anyway, we'll talk about that. Mark? So what day was the tabernacle erected? Um, I believe it was well, it was the first day of the first uh, month. First day of the first month. Okay. So what's interesting is is I know Jonathan Kahn talked about this that he believes that uh, the birth of Yeshua was on the first day of the first month. So just like the tabernacle of the Lord talks about him being the tabernacle was erected on the first day. He believes that Yeshua was born on the first day. The interesting thing about this, so they come out of Egypt on the 15th day of Passover and exactly almost one year to the date. Less two weeks, yeah. Yeah, so, so right after the setting up of this tabernacle, they're going to observe the Passover they in the wilderness, the first right Passover. And so it's know. with an erected tabernacle. And my point is, is people always think just because, okay, so Passover happened and it was fulfilled. Well, no, they're going to do it again this next year, but this time with the tabernacle in their midst. And I often wonder, you know, maybe, you know, I know a lot of people believe that Yeshua is coming in the fall feast. 
But boy, there sure seems to be a lot of things implying about him coming here in the spring. Yep. This is when the tabernacle is erected. That's good. That's interesting. Yeah. We have to uh, <clears throat> change the mic. Good. Then I can blab for a while. If you go back and you look at the other passages, they're listed in the book. The passage in Exodus talks about, you know, in Exodus we, we talked about them building it. So we got real familiar with the different articles and how they were all put together and the way the thing looked. And the, um, the passage in Exodus talks about they, they constructed it the first time. It talks about Moses uh, anointed it with oil and the, the uh, cloud, God's cloud, if you will, came down on the tabernacle. So it talks about the physical tabernacle. Shh! <laughs> The, the passage in Leviticus talks about the dedication of the tabernacle from the, the viewpoint of the Levites. So it talks about dressing them up and anointing them and the blood on the earlobe and the thumb and the right toe and all that kind of stuff. So it talks about, and it talks about all the stuff that went on. It was eight days it took to do that and all that went on with that. And then this passage here in Numbers talks about the involvement of the rest of the nation of Israel in this whole thing. So all three of them have a different viewpoint, but they're all about the same event. So I just in, invite you to uh, think about that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, let's see what else I want to talk about. <coughs> so there were uh, items given by the different tribes. What, in general, what, were, what was given just the, uh, the part we've read about so far? Six, six carts and 12 oxen. Obviously, it takes two oxen to pull a cart. Uh, now, testing, can you... Testing, A little it, more, maybe? There we go. It, oh, darn, they're back. The, uh... So... Wait, okay, fine. Go ahead. These are only about the, uh, the three, the, the groups of the Levites, right? What we just read? Um... Or did we read a whole bunch more? Couldn't no. possibly have read the rest of it. Yeah, we read the whole book while you were going. No, oh. we... <laughs> What are you, what's your point? Yes, so far all we've talked about is the Levites. Right. We haven't talked about any other 12 tribes. Not just yet. Just the Levites. Okay. But I was going to point out that they took these carts and they gave two carts and four of the oxen to one group. I think it was the Gershonites. And then they gave four carts and eight of the oxen to the other group, which was the Morarites. Do you remember what, what those two groups' job was in the maintaining and moving of the tabernacle? Software and hardware? Software and hardware. Who had the hardware? I don't know. The Mararites. So they needed more carts. So it, even that little detail fits, you know? So that you can imagine that they would load, you know, those big planks that they had. These planks were like a cubit wide, so they were about yay wide and about six feet tall, and they were, they were acacia wood, but they were covered with gold. Man, those suckers can't be light, right? And so you had to have those put in the carts along with all the little poles that went in to hold those things together and all that kind of stuff. So the Merarites had the carts for that. And the Gershonites had the cart. They wadded up the tent, put the tent in one of the carts and wadded up the fence. I'm sure they didn't wad it up. But, you know, they put all that stuff in. Uh, and then so why didn't the Kohathites get a cart? What happens when you put an ark on a cart? <laughs> Ask Uzzah. Exactly. Right? <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't read the m numbers 7-9. Yeah. yeah. 
So the Kohathites didn't have a cart because they have to carry the articles of furnishing for the tabernacle on their shoulders. Remember, all those, all those articles had posts or poles going through rings. You know, I, that's all described. I, it's amazing. All that stuff is described in detail in Exodus. And so they had these, these poles in there, and the Kohathites would, would lift them up and carry them down the road. Yeah. Doesn't that sound like Yeshua? And he says, my, my burden is not, is not heavy, it's light. Yeah, my burden. But it's a burden that you would put on your shoulders, like what these guys did? Yeah. Ow. Hmm? Well, I was just listening. Uh, <laughs> Marvin over here is saying in Kenya they has a, there's a tribe called Merarites. Uh -huh. And he said it's possible that they think they might be that tribe. Yep. You've heard, I've heard, you heard about of that? that. I've heard of that, yeah. yeah. There's even a guy down there that's, that uh, is guarding a place that he claims has got the ark in. Don't know. I mean, interesting. You know, yeah, it's interesting. I've I've learned never to dismiss anything as out of hand, right? You know. Well, anyway, let's see what else. There's a couple other things I want to talk about in that one little passage. I guess that's it. Okay, so this is uh, that's good enough. Now, somebody would uh, would somebody like to read from verse twelve? Should we do one for each tribe? One person did from verse tribe? twelve through verse eighty-three. <laughs> I'm not going to make one person read from verse no, twelve we'll to eighty-three. One, do a do a reading for each tribe. Each yeah. What yeah? What you can do is we each can, person does we a can tribe. Do, we can do a programming trick, and we can read the name of the tribe and then call the subroutine, and that because the verbiage is the same, you know. <laughs> what do you What do you got your hands up for? But <laughs> I'll read it if you want. What? Uh, well, the, let whole me, in, the whole uh, enchilada. The whole enchilada? That's okay. I, don't, I mean, that's very nice of you to offer, John, but I don't want you to read the whole enchilada. I got it all on one page. I know you do. Let me read just verse 12 and then 12 through uh, 17, and we'll talk about it, and then we'll go on, okay? Starting in verse 12. It says, the one who brought his offering on the first day. By the way, each one of the tribes brought an offering on, a, on their own day. And so it starts off, the one who brought his tribe on the first day. So, and then it goes on, second, third, fourth, all the way to the twelfth day. Was Nachshon, the son of Aminadab of the tribe of Judah. We'll talk in a minute about that. His offering was one silver plate weighing 130 shekels and one silver sprinkling bowl weighing 70 shekels both according to the sanctuary shekel, each filled with fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold dish weighing ten shekels filled with incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs a year old to be sacrificed as a fellowship offering. This was the offering of Noxon, son of Aminadab. Now, that same listing of all the different things is repeated for each tribe. Okay? So if we go down to verse 18, it says, On the second day, Nethanel, son of Zuar, the leader of Issachar, brought his offering. And it repeats exactly those same items. Okay? And then it goes, The third day, Eliab, son of Helon, leader of the, 12, or the people of Zebulon. Okay? 
So we can read this, but I thought I would propose that we not. Uh, it's, you know, you can, you can go through it and you can, as a matter of fact, one of the questions I'm going to ask you is, so what's the order of the tribes listed here? Is it, I would say it's the order that they're around the tabernacle starting from the east this time with Judah, mm -hmm. then going, Reuben's on the south, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And then, west. so it goes just counterclockwise. You guys got a bad so connection. So you guys said counterclockwise. And it went crazy. So the east side has got Judah, who is the leader, if you will, of the three tribes over there. And the three tribes are Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Right? And so it, that's the first three. And then it moves to the south. And then there's Reuben and Simeon and somebody else. And then on the west, Dad. the west is uh, Benjamin. Ephraim is the Ephraim leader. and Manasseh, and Ephraim's the leader. And right. then on the north, there's the last three, whoever the leader is. But each, and so it, that's the order in which they're listed, because that's the order in which they set out when they march. Here's John. a geeky thing. Okay. So it's Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. And if you take the D in Dan, and spin the next letter is A, that's Asher. The third letter is N for Naphtali. So Dan is the acronym for the other tribes, for all the That's tribes. That's pretty cool. It only works in English. Only you could find that stuff. <laughs> no charge. So what, let's talk a little bit about the things that were brought. Uh, what items were brought by each of the tribes? Well, I've got it conveniently here in my first column. Well, why don't you, <laughs> why don't you read what that is then? Uh, the offerings are the meat offering. Wait. Well, Well, okay. the King James says meat offering. Well, all right. I just, uh, you didn't, anything what, about what is, silver, silver is, plates or any of that stuff? Oh, I see. So one 130 shekel silver charger, one 70 shekel silver bowl after oh. the shekel of the sanctuary. Okay. Both full of fine flour mingled with oil. Mm -hmm. Is that what you wanted to do? Yeah, I just want to go on. You can go on. Now. You're doing great. One ten shekel gold spoonful of incense. And then the burnt offering. One young bullock, one ram, one first year lamb. For burnt offerings. Bur burnt offering. Sin mm -hmm. offering. One goat kid. Mm -hmm. Peace offering. Two oxen, five rams, five he goats, and five first year lambs. Okay. Now the All conveniently put in this first column. Yep. <laughs> the, um, again, about those offerings. Now you'll notice that there's uh, the burnt offerings is uh, quite, a, quite an array. The, uh, the sin offering was just the goat. And then the two oxen, five rams, five goats, and five lambs is fellowship offerings. That is a lot of food. Right? That's a lot of meat. And fellowship offerings are shared by the group. So this was enough meat, if you will, to have a nice barbecue for the entire tribe of Judah. That, that's what this was. Yeah. Well, that's a lot. There's a lot of people to feed. I yeah. Mean. yeah. I'm not saying that it worked out exactly right. But what I am saying is that's part of the reason why it was such a large offering was because it was for the entire tribe. Right. And which makes sense. The other thing that I want to say, because somebody brought up one day, 
you know, and it occurred to me during the week, so I'm just going to say it. Okay, you but, do that. Um, it, you know, that, that the slaughter of animals isn't that cruel. Or, you know, it's kind of cruel that we slaughter animals. But if you think about the meat that we buy in the store, it's really cruel. I mean, the way they've slaughtered well, them. Well, it's, it's certainly no better than this. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, hey, you know, there's a bunch of animals being slaughtered. Yeah. I've often said that if, uh, you know, if we didn't have grocery stores, I'd definitely be a vegetarian. Because I got, be a, not only would I not know how, but I probably wouldn't do it anyway. We'd be a lot thinner. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> the... Um, Okay, animal, that, that animal thing is, you're right. You know, we, we still, based on last week's discussion, various other things, I, I should speak for myself. I still don't have my mind wrapped around what all that means. But we'll get there. We'll get there. It may not be till we die, but we'll get there. Yes. Um, another thing I was going to talk about, you notice how it talks about a silver bowl of 120 shekels of the by the sanctuary shekel this was 130 sorry i stand corrected this was uh before the days of coins so it wasn't like you know uh two quarters and a dime or something like that this was um they they would weigh them out you know they would take hunks of silver and scrape off pieces on a scale until they got to the right weight and so the sanctuary shekel shekel was used as a standard and that was the way they measured the value of stuff. Why do you think that the Torah took the time to list each tribe separately and put down the exact same list of stuff? Chris has got a thought. So I was thinking of this, but usually when you're going to make an offering for yourself or someone else, it's for specifically what iniquities were done amongst your people. So in my, theoretically in my mind, I'm thinking if it was all grouped together on one day, it doesn't make sense because everyone has different things that they may be offering this up for because of things that have gone within their own tribe. Mm -hmm. And then the other thought I had is like why it's on a different day. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of y'all tried to catch some of these animals, but it's not <laughs> the easiest thing to do rapidly. <laughs> Especially when you get to like the goats and the lambs, that's yeah, easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the ram and the ox, yeah. they got a mind of their own no yeah. matter how long you've had them. Yeah. So it, it takes quite some time to get all of that. Well, that's a good point. Not, yep, not only that, but just the very act of, of doing it. That's a lot of animals to, uh, to butcher, if you will, on a day. Yeah. John. So it's, I've been told, it's tradition, and it's a reasonable tradition to me, that important people are mentioned in the Bible, and the ones that aren't important, they're not named. They're, they're referenced, but they're not named. Mm -hmm. So we just got through doing the Aaronic blessing, which he talks about the children of Israel. Mm -hmm. So if you're from some vague tribe, not that I want to say that any of them are vague, you know, the yes. tribe of Naphtali or, something. or Issachar or something, yeah, yeah. I'm named in the Bible. It's yep. written right there. Yep. Yep. You got a problem with it? Go read, the, go read the Torah. Go read Numbers chapter 7. I think that's a lot of it. I think a lot of it is simply God pointing out that every tribe is important to me. They're, they're all, they're all uh, and, and the, the same contributions indicate they're all of equal stature to me. I don't consider one tribe any more important than another. And 
I think that's exactly the reason why it's done that way. Yeah. Was that what you were going to say, Tanya? Did you have a comment? Saved you a trip. Um, okay, then there was a, this is something. See, now this is one of the reasons I like doing this is because, let's see. I guess we need to finish reading the chapter. So was Go the, ahead. They missed the tribe of the Gentiles. I didn't see that. The tribe of the Gentiles. I didn't see that either. They weren't mentioned. Oh, okay. Um, would somebody like to read from uh, verse 84 to the end of the chapter? It's not very long. Okay. This was the dedication of the altar. On the day it was anointed from the leaders of Israel... 12 silver bowls, 12 silver basins, 12 golden ladles. Each bowl was, 100 and, was 130 shekels, and each basin was 70. All the silver of the vessels was 2,400 in the, sh in the sacred shekel. 12 golden ladles filled with incense. Each ladle was 10 of... 10 of the sacred shekels. All the gold of the ladles was 120 shekels. All the, all the livestock for the elevation offering, 12 bulls, 12 rams, 12 sheep in their first year and their meal offerings, and 12 he goats for a sin offering. All the livestock for the feast peace offering, 24 bulls, 60 rams, 60 he goats, 60 sheep in their first year. This was the dedication of the altar after it was anointed. When Moses arrived at the tent of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice speaking to him from atop the cover that was upon the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and he spoke to him. Okay, now that, that's a, a pretty dramatic I thing. I like that ending. But I, go ahead, Tanya's got something. That, that's what that says. As a matter of fact, that's where I'm going with this. If you go to Exodus chapter 40. So Exodus chapter 40 is another one of the, of the places where this, this whole thing is being described. And I'm going to go to verse 34 in Exodus chapter 40 and read that. This is the same event. This is when the tabernacle was, actually it was when it was constructed the first time. And starting in verse 34, which is the very end of the book of Exodus, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. In all the travels uh, of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle day and night, and the fire was... Okay, that, the rest of that's not as important. The point I wanted to camp on was verse 35. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And we just read over here in verse 89, when Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with Yahweh, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the atonement cover. So I learned this. I, boy, you make a lot of noise. I learned this from that thing that we were looking at not long ago 
thebibleproject.com, that big complicated picture that talked about the look of, book of Leviticus. One of the things it said in the upper left corner, it said, at the beginning, Moses couldn't enter the tent. And at the end of the book of Leviticus, Moses could enter the tent. And here it says he could enter the tent. So, um, what happened? What? He arrived. He arrived at the tent of meeting. Well, yours is wrong. <laughs> Probably. I'm sure it I'm is. Just, I'm just joking. But there does seem to be something different. I mean, it specifically well, it's, he says... He spoke to him. That he, was the... Well, but it, the, in Exodus, it said he couldn't go in, right? And in here, he said he went in and talked to him. No, I don't. I, I don't think so. What's, uh, well, what's, it's, Chris it's, has something. It's clearly... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt John. Well, if you look at Exodus, there's things that are in Leviticus that aren't in Exodus. For instance, there's no mention of the 12 tribes sacrificing and making that sacrifice. So it would lead me to believe that when Exodus was, when they were talking about Exodus, they were talking about the general issue with him not being able to enter. And maybe they came to the conclusion, you know what, we got to do something. In Leviticus, they acted, did something, gave up those sacrifices, and then Moses was able to enter. I think that's exactly the conclusion. That's exactly what's happened. The book of Leviticus happened, if you will, <laughs> right? The, all the, the priests were given their jobs. They went through their jobs, and they did all that they were supposed to do, and now everything was operating. In the book of Exodus, it was just, it was like an open house. It was up and running, but there was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't functioning yet. In the book of Numbers, it's, it's functioning. The people live well, there now. God lives there. Yeah. In Exodus, it seems like it's, it's talking about a future events, like they're going to follow him where all the smoke is and all that. Yep. But that hasn't, none of that's happened yet, yep. but he's describing it there, Yep. what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought that was kind of fascinating. And the reason I bring all that up, other than the fact that I think it's fascinating, is I have been looking at this for like 15 or more years, and I just, just found that out. So I, want, I meant that to encourage you. There's stuff in here... I guarantee you, next time you go through this, you're going to find some other stuff. And, and the more you find, the more you, number one, realize that this is no work of man. You know, nobody could have done this this way. And number two, it just makes you feel that much more confident that what we're doing here and the faith we've placed in God is, is appropriate. You know, I just think it's great. So that's a, and I, I also practice so that we'd be through right on time. So... <laughs> So, are there any other thoughts or issues or questions about this? So, I'm just... Yeah. Just a quick thing here. It says they were in verse 85. Mm hmm And the silver vessels weighed 2,400. So, they all brought in 24. I didn't get where that number comes from. So, if well, they you divide that by 12... They, yeah, if you divide it by 12, you get the weight of the one. I did the math on that. They're all come out right. You get 20 per each, for each, no. Well, I, no. we can go back and look. Right. I, I, at one time I did the math. I didn't right. like just today, but I felt like the multiplication was proper. But I'll let you go check it. All right. All right. Don't believe me. Any other thoughts? Okay, let me close in prayer. Father God, thanks again. Thank you very much for your your Torah, thank you for the 
the precision with which you've put these things together. Thank you that we can search out the little details and a lot of times when we find them, um, it, really, it really illuminates things. It makes things make more sense. Sometimes when we find them, we don't understand them. But God, I'm encouraged that uh, we're learning to, uh, to seek them out, seek them out. And you, uh, you've said that it's, uh, you, you appreciate it when we do that. You've said that if we believe that you exist and that we diligently seek you, that uh, we'll find you. We're diligently seeking you, God. I ask that you bless us as we go through this week. Keep us safe and keep us thinking on these things until we meet together. In Yahushua's name, amen. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you.